think most of y'all have probably figured out, me being here for a year and a half, that I like water. <laughs> I like the beach, the ocean, lakes, rivers, streams. I'm not real sure exactly why I don't have a boat. I don't necessarily go fishing all the time, but I like water. I think it's the beauty of the seeing, the, the reflection, the qualities that are there. I'm not real sure, but it's God's beauty, and I love it. What does that have to do with our lesson today? Well, I want you to think about this as we, as we look through our lesson this morning. It's called God's strength. Is it enough to supply us, or is it something that we're going to question? If you want to turn to Numbers chapter 13, that's where our lesson text is going to start this morning. Numbers chapter 13. Give you a little background on what's going on here. We know that the children of Israel have been wandering around in, in the wilderness there for some time. They knew of the land of milk and honey that God had promised them. They knew of this great land called Canaan. And this land was there waiting for them. It was there waiting for them to get there. But God gave them some things that they needed to do in order to do that. And we're going we're gonna to look at some of that today. We're going to look at the setting that they were in. We're going to look at how close they were, if you will. Now, as I've mentioned, I really like the water. And many times when I travel towards... Uh, especially like the ocean. You know, you, you get a little anxious when you get close. You get really excited. You start seeing maybe some of the shoreline. Maybe if you're going to somewhere like Florida, that's mainly where I go to the ocean. But you see the palm trees. You see the uh, uh, Indian River fruit signs. <laughs> you see all these things as you get closer and closer. And as I get close enough to see the ocean, it's almost like my mind fixes on it. I'm driving down the road, but I'm looking over here, you know. Thank goodness for peripheral vision, right? But they were close enough in the days of Numbers chapter 13 and 14 to see Canaan. They were close enough to see that land of milk and honey. And you think about that. Now what if, and as we approach this lesson, what if as I was going to the ocean, I had some, some friends with me or what have you, and all of a sudden... We get there and there's this big chain link fence that spans great heights that I can't get there. Would I just turn around and go back? Or would I try to find a way to go? Now I'm not saying the ocean is a promised land, don't get me wrong. But if it's something that it's something that I love to see, it's something that I long for when I'm traveling places such as that. We're also going to look at today in chapter 13, we're going to see that that, uh, that these men that were called spies were all named. We're going to see that uh, uh, we're going to play a game, if you will, called Name That Spy. We're also going to see that when they got there, they're going to say, hey, look what we found. <laughs> and then a few minutes later, we're going to see that they're also going to say, look what else we found. And then we're going to see them say, here we go again. We want to go back to Egypt. You remember the last two lessons we've looked at we talked about God's path. You know, when they got over towards the Red Sea, that they didn't know where they were going. They, they thought that they were in a land of diminishment. They thought that they had run out of places to go. They didn't trust necessarily in God that He would part the Red Sea for them. You know, they didn't, they didn't know what was ahead of them. But if you remember, they groaned and moaned and complained and said, we want to go back to Egypt. Why would you bring us here, Moses? Why would you bring us to this land? And then we saw again in, in the, the sweet gift that God gave them in the sweet waters last week. We saw that they were still complaining. You know, three days journey after the Red Sea. Here they are. They, they've left here. They've seen this miraculous power. And they get in the wilderness and they're parched. They're thirsty. 
and they desire something to drink. They decide that God is not important enough to supply them. And they start saying, we want to go back. We're going to see that again today. They're going to say, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back. We're also going to look at what a difference an attitude makes. And we're going to see today that our attitude is very important to our destiny. Our attitude is all the world, if you will, to us getting to our eternal home, that land of milk and honey that we desire for. So let's look at a couple of passages here that lead up to Numbers chapter 13. Think about in Deuteronomy chapter 1. The Bible says in verse 21, it says, Look, the Lord God, Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken. You do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. And it says, The plan pleased me well, so I took twelve of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshco and spied it out. Now we're going to get into our text now, Numbers chapter 13. This is a long passage of text, and I'm, try, I'm going to try to stay in it most of the, the morning here. But in Numbers chapter 13, I want to read you the first part of that. Verses 1 through 3, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out of the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. So you see, God told Moses, He said, you pick out these people that are going to go up here and they're going to look and see what this land is all about. And they're going to see if it is the land that I have promised. They're going to see if it is the land that is worthy of your venture. Now you think about that and you understand that, that God supplied everything they needed. God already knew what that land looked like, didn't He? There was no reason for Him to, to need to know. But to show them that their faith was going to be strong enough, God tells Moses, now you go up there and you look and see. Now I think God kind of does that in a way to us sometimes. He, he gets us close enough to see. You know, I think when we're together in the church, we're close to seeing a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. I think when we are in the right frame of mind, the right attitude, I think we're, we're getting a glimpse. We're catching a little bit of, a, of, a, of an eyesight of what heaven is going to be like. But what happens here? Look at verses 17 through 20. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what is the, the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So as Moses gives them this command to go up to, to check out this land, if you will, he basically sends them to an area that he knows is going to be fertile based on what God has said. It is the time that these grapes are going to be in, in, in harvest. All they've got to do is go. All they've got to do is go down there and find what's waiting on them. Not a problem, right? If we had direct intervention today from God and, and, and He told us to go out you know, and, and, and find some type of fruit that's growing on a tree right now, would we be willing to go or not? I guess it would depend on circumstances. 
right? That's the way we approach things. We want to know what the cost is. We want to know what the challenge is. We want to know what the reward is before we decide what we want to do. And I think that that is something that we have grown too far away from the biblical principle of Christianity. I think we need to have a little bit more faith and understand what God says is there is there. And we need to concentrate on how to get there, not necessarily what's there waiting on us. But you know, here's what happens next. You look at verses 21 through 27. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rahab, near the entrance of Hamar. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron, Anahim, Sheshai, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshcol because the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Now I want to back up just a second. I, want to, I wanted to read that to you to, to understand that they did go and they did what God told them. All right, there's 12 men here. Now, I told you we're going to play a game, if you will. Name that spy. Go back to verses 4 through 16. I have a little trouble pronouncing some of these, and I apologize for that. But it says, Now these were their names from the tribe of Reuben, Shemua the son of Zachar, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Egal the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi. From the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Vafsi. From the tribe of Gad, Gruel, the son of Maki. These are the names of the men who Moses sent out to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Now why in the world do we have to know who those spies are? I want you to think about that as we go through this lesson. All these 12 people are named. Every single one of them. Now as you go on and you read the Bible, you're not going to see a whole lot of information about any of them except for two. And we're going to see a whole lot about them. But I think it's very significant that we think about this morning that these other ten spies are named. You know, we tend to forget that sometimes. You know, we, we remember Joshua and Caleb. That's easy, right? We remember them because we know they're going to go on and do some great things. We're going to look at that as well. But these other ten, we kind of tend to forget. I don't want us to forget. I want to come back to that a little bit later. But look here what they found. They went to this land of milk and honey. They said, yes, we went there and we found these things. And look here, we brought back these ripe grapes. We also brought back pomegranates. We brought back other good things. And it truly, in verse 27, flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Look what we found. Now, if y'all asked me to go somewhere and, and bring back something good, I don't think I would go somewhere and try to bring you back something bad. If I saw something good, I'd bring it back to you. No problem, right? I'm going in a few weeks to polish the pulpit, and I hope to bring you back something good. 
That would be my memory that brings it back. But you, you wouldn't want me to bring something bad back. You'd want me to bring something good. Look here, this is what we found. Yeah, God said that this land's over here and we went up here. Yes, it is. There it is. There it is. Whoa, wait a minute though. Look what else we found. Look at verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Enoch there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Ammonites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. You see, now they're, they're jumping back and saying, hold on just a minute. We did find this great stuff, but whoa, wait a minute. There's all these big, giant people. That, that these, these folks that were out there, that, whew, it's bad land. It's not land that we want to deal with. Let's skip down to verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw entered are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, come from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. You see, these spies are saying, We can't fight these people. These people are huge. <laughs> You know, they're, 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 they're Amazon people. They're mammoths. They're, they're giants. We can't, we can't, we don't stand a chance. We're grasshoppers. Now you think about that. Grasshoppers mere grasshoppers. Sometimes grasshoppers can, can trouble us a little bit. Most of the time they're just little, you know, bugs on the, on the ground. They're not going to do anything. But have you ever heard a herd, if you will, of grasshoppers? You know, the noise they make is kind of unique. It's just kind of a you know, a, you know, when they rub their, their legs together. But can you imagine if you heard thousands of those? If you heard a lot of those people. Now think of, keep in mind now, let's go back to our lessons two weeks ago and last week. There was probably about, and I, I, this is just from my own study, of about two million people here in the children of Israel and, and leaving their captivity in Egypt and going into the wilderness. There may be more by this point. I don't know. I don't know how many people were there. But I do know this. But a lot of grasshoppers can surely take down a giant, can't they? If there's enough of them, they can do that. You think about the ten plagues. You know, the locusts overtook the world. You know, overtook the land there. It overtook everything. They couldn't drink. They couldn't eat. They couldn't do anything. So here these people are. They're saying, look, this is bad land. We don't want to go there. There's giants there. We're mere grasshoppers. Now look at what happens in chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly, of the congregation of the children of Israel. You know, that's got to be tough. Can you imagine how God must have felt? Now, we know we can't feel what God feels, but can you imagine how he must have felt? Think of yourself as a parent. If you're not a parent, if, think of yourself as a friend that's given, given all you can give, if you will. Look what happened here. God had already taken care of these folks. He sent the ten plagues to get them out of captivity. You know, that, that was powerful. You know, that was powerful. He parted the Red Sea. 
You know, I, I don't, I can't imagine that that's very much of a task for God. I mean, He has all power. I mean, you know, He, he spoke and the sea parted. No problem. But still, He did these things. Go back to chapter 16 of, uh, of Exodus. He provided manna. He provided food for them. He provided water for them many times. Not just once. He provided quail so much that they ate it and got sick. He provided a guide in the wilderness with the cloud and the fire. Remember, they, they, they even knew where to go based on what God gave them. God gave them every single thing they needed. God gave them direction. He gave them their leaders, Moses and Aaron being their leaders that were going to take them to that land of Canaan. He gave them everything. Can you imagine now how God must have felt? I don't know that I can. Here's all these things that we've supplied. It would be like us as a parent supplying everything that we need for our child and our child saying, you're a bad parent. You know, it happens sometimes. <laughs> but can you imagine how that must have felt for God? Terrible. Now let's talk about the attitudes. Because we as Christians in our congregation, in our church family, and, and I know everybody here is not a Christian, and, and I hope you'll consider that this morning, but in our attitudes, we have the world of difference, if you will. And what a difference it makes. Because our attitudes shape our entire lives. Our attitudes shape everything that we decide, our choices that we make. I mentioned in class, I heard Brother Lonnie Jones speak this week on what do I want right now or what do I want most. That's a choice. You've got to make a choice. What do I want right now? What do I want most? And we see the children of Israel doing this. What do I want right now? I want to go back to Egypt. <laughs> I had it good there. Yeah, I had to work a little bit, but I had food, I had clothes, I had shelter, I had everything I needed. I want to go back to Egypt. They're forgetting right over here. I mean, almost in eye shot is the promised land. They're real close. But their attitude... You know, bad attitudes never accomplishes much at all, if anything. Let's look at some verses and we'll see some attitudes here. Verse 31. But the men of chapter 13, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. That's a bad attitude. <laughs> you know, when we face issues and challenges in our own lives, especially in the church and, and in, in spiritual matters, we have to look out there. We have to say the same thing. We have to look at it and say... I am able to conquer because God has supplied me. But a bad attitude is going to say, I, I can't overcome this. Yes, I'm tempted, and I can't overcome it. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says we can overcome temptation. Or it may put us in a situation. I've talked to a couple of friends this week that are in some pretty desperate uh, emotional situations. And they're both distraught, very distraught. You know, and, and, and they can give up. They can have this thing down. But verse 31 shows we can't fight. We can't continue on. That's a terrible attitude to have, isn't it? Or oh, grasshoppers, verse 33. There, there we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Well, you, you know, there's a key word right there, in our own sight. And that made us grasshoppers in their sight. You see, when you limit yourself, when you limit what you can do, it's going to limit what everybody else knows you can do as well. That's a bad attitude. What about in verse 9, chapter 14? Look here what it says. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. 
for they are our bread. Their protection is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now that verse is going to apply to both of our attitudes. But bad attitudes, they were fearful. They feared the people that were there. They feared the land that was there. They feared... Fear. They feared defeat. You know, think about Jesus Christ. If He had a fear that night when the soldiers, the many, many soldiers came to take Him. If He had feared and His attitude was bad like these people here, we wouldn't have an opportunity to go to the promised land, would we? Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. They had a bad attitude, and they were murmuring against all things that they'd been provided. What a terrible attitude. Do we do that today? God has given us a lot. He's given us a lot spiritually, physically, emotionally. Many times we go, you know, Life was easier when I was not a Christian. Life was easier when I was, you know, back in living in sin and I was able to do what I wanted. <laughs> do we murmur? Do we murmur against things like that? Look at verse 4. And they said, So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. They've given up. They've seen this land of milk and honey. These spies have. They've brought back the fruits of it. They've, they've brought back these things and said, Here it is. Here's a sampling of what we've got to look forward to. And then they brought back this, quote, bad news, unquote, that there's all these things that they've got to get over. All these things that they've got to accomplish in order to take that land. And the people say, here we go again. Let's go back to Egypt. We would rather die. <laughs> we would rather die. That's a terrible thought. Terrible attitude. Now let's look at what good attitudes do. I don't have as many verses about that. You know why? Isn't that the way life is? There's a whole lot more bad attitude than there is good attitude. But good attitudes accomplish great things. Look back at chapter 13, verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Don't forget now, here are these people that have conquered a lot of things. They've, they've left captivity. They had to have some idea that there was a direction there. They've gotten to the Red Sea. God parted it. He took care of it. No problem. They watched as their enemies were devoured. Don't forget that now. The Red Sea swallowed the enemies up. It took care of it. Caleb says, we can do this. We've got this. You know, when we come to challenges in our life, when we, when we come to those, those, those trying times in our own lives, when we're sitting out there thinking, you know, I just can't take any more, we need to have the attitude of Caleb. We need to say, we got this. We got God on our side. We've got this. That's the attitude that we need to have. Look at chapter 14, verse 9. Again, I said this verse applies to both. It says, Only do not rebel, rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. In other words, these people are nothing. They've lost their strength. They're not as strong as you think they are. You know what? I, I look at Satan when I think about that. I look at Satan. You know, we're scared of Satan, aren't we? I think we should be at times, but I think we also should be strong. 
And should we, not, we should not fear because we know that the Lord is on our side. And we know that we can overcome. Now back up to verse 7. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. You see, that was the good attitude. The good attitude was that, that if God wants us to have this land, we're going to have this land. And we know that that's the attitude that Joshua and Caleb had. Both of them. And with God, all things are possible. You know, how many times do you hear that verse quoted? Many times we hear, with Christ all things are possible. And it's written both ways. But think about that just a minute. I want to read you a short passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 12 says, Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments, and keep and do them, that the Lord, the God, will keep your, your covenant and the mercy which He swore to your fathers. And He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your your grain and your new wine and your oil and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock and the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all the peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock and the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt which you have known but will lay them on all those who hate you. Also you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord your God delivers over to you. Your eyes shall have no pity on them nor shall you serve their gods for that will be a snare to you. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials in which your eyes saw the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until those who are left who hide themselves from you are destroyed, you shall not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God and the great and awesome God is among you. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. And he will deliver their kings into your hand and you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And he closes there saying, Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. You see, God is powerful. God gave everything that was needed. God gave all the strength. I want to compare that to what the New Testament says in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. And to whom he did swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. you remember those ten spies? I think there's a reason they were named. I think the reason that they were named is because they did not have faith in God. They did not have the faith that they needed. And I wonder sometimes if we're not named. I think we probably are. But where does our name fall? Does it fall on those two faithful? Those two that had the good attitudes? Or does it fall on the ten that had the bad attitudes? Those unfaithful. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and lets us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such humility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, you have not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. You see, with God all things are possible. Fear destroys us. Fear gives us bad attitudes. And it's an unpleasant emotion caused by the awareness of emotion, is what the definition of fear is. Do we go out into the world and we tell God it's just too tough? Think about that. When we leave here today, are we going to go out in the world and we're going to say, God, I know you want me to be this, this, this person that you've described. I know you want to give me this land of milk and honey, but it's just so tough, God. I can't do it. I just can't do it. Or do we rely on God's strength? We have to make a choice. The choice is, is ours to make, just like it was Joshua and Caleb. And we know that the reward came to them. They were able to go into the land that was promised to them. And we can read on and continue to see that God was with them all the while. God helped them fight battles. He helped them overcome lands. And those ten spies, they didn't get to go. Their bad attitude cost them their promised land. This morning, you have to make a choice as well. Are you going to rely on God's strength? Are you going to rely on what God has told you? Are you going to rely on the fruits that you've seen? Or are you going to say, God, I can't do this. I can't be the Christian you want me to be. I can't obey you because it's too hard. The promised land is waiting for you. The promised land is there. But you must become a Christian in order to receive that gift. To do that, you must... Hear the Word of God. You must believe it. You must repent of your sins, confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, turning away from that old man, and being baptized in water grave baptism. The example is there. It's given to us. It's shown to us. And that is the only way to salvation. But you know what, friends? Many of us are Christians. Many times we see that, 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 that giant that's waiting on us, and we turn away. We're fearful. Many times we see that fear of Satan, and we fall to him. Why leave here today following Satan? The opportunity is here. The church will pray for you. We'll pray with you. The elders are here if you need to talk with them. I'll talk with you. be happy to. There are so many people here that love your soul. But if you're a sinner, you're separated from God. We all sin, fall short of the glory of God. It's the choice that we make, the attitude that we have that's going to make the difference. Why not be like Joshua and Caleb? Why not be strong with God? Don't turn away. Don't be like those ten that are named. If you have any need today, won't you come? I implore you, beg you, as we stand and sing.